Coop, you know this about me. I'm not a huge movie guy. I don't go to the movies often. I, I just I just don't. Yeah, there's there's one movie that comes to mind that you love above all the rest, though. Wait, which one? The B movie. Oh, my gosh. Quick story for the listeners. Our <laughs> freshman year, we're sitting in our dorm room, and Cooper comes running in all excited. He's like, Zach, you got to watch this. You got to watch this. Watch this video. It's only like seven minutes long. Just watch it. And I'm like, okay. And it's the B movie. But every time the word B is said, it speeds up. So by the end, it's just flying through. Cooper thinks it's hilarious, but it was such a waste I of think time. It was so funny because I knew that Zach just isn't a huge movie guy. And so I thought it'd be hilarious to make him spend seven minutes of his life watching. This you movie. wasted my life. I wanted you to watch the abridged version. Oh, I remember being so just like frazzled and frustrated. Frustrated. I felt like, yeah, that's I a good way totally to was. describe it. But I do go to the movies for one specific reason. You do. I do. The voice of the movie trailer guy before mm. the movie even starts. He could pre he could tell me anything and I would I would think that everything's going to be all right. Yeah. No matter the situation, no matter what what he's telling me, it's like I think his voice is calming and soothing enough that I'm going to be okay. Yeah, I would believe it. I would do whatever he tells me to do and it just it just sucks me in. One them. One bowl of popcorn. My popcorn's now all over the floor. I need to urinate really bad. I wish this person next to me would hop off my armrest. And the lady on the other side won't get off her phone. Shout out Shay Robbins. If you haven't listened to episode one, go check it out. You should definitely go check it out. <laughs> this episode, Dave Arnott is... Our special guest. Welcome to the Next Generation Leader Podcast, where we believe great leaders are listeners, especially during their youth. Good leaders learn from their successes and mistakes, but great leaders learn from the successes and mistakes of those who go before them. I'm your host, Zach Funderburg, here with my co-host, Cooper McCullough. Coop, how are we? I'm doing good, and those heartbeat sound effects are brought to you by yours truly. Yeah, those those weren't... <laughs> Those aren't effects that we added on. That's that's your throat. That's actually me. I am a gifted and talented man. Dude, I'm I've always been jealous of that. I can't do it. Just I try for us. Oh, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it. Yeah, no, you can't. But tell us who we're we listening to today. Well, you heard it um, earlier on our movie trailer. We have Dr. Dave Arnott. He's a professor of management and economics here at DBU. Ooh. He wrote a book. And it's called uh, The Leadership Quotient, 12 Dimensions for Measuring and Improving Leaderships. Wow, that's a mouthful. It just sounds academic. He's got to be a smart guy. He is. I had him in class, and I was blown away just by his knowledge. And so decided to sit down with him and really talk about his book and talk about what the, the 12 dimensions are and what the leadership quotient is. And when, it, and when it boils down to it, Dr. Arnott was talking about two specific things, two specific buckets, if you will, that you can put leadership in task and people. So Coop, would you identify more with a people person or a task oriented person? So I've found that it depends on the job that I'm doing and okay. depends on how, how high the responsibility is. I think when I'm the main guy in charge of getting everything done, I err to the side of task. However, when I am under someone's leadership serving alongside people, I tend to focus on the relationships with people. So for me, it's kind of here nor there, I guess, like it depends on the situation. Yeah, that's good. 
And I think great leaders know themselves. They lead themselves to lead others. And so they can harness both of those oh, thank you. tasks and people, which is you. You're a great leader. And so a quote from Dr. Arnott's book is, leadership is about commitment and necessity directed toward accomplishment. Mm. So commitment and necessity, getting people to do and to go directed toward an accomplishment to a finished task. And so I, I really enjoyed this interview. Yeah, I mean, I haven't even heard it yet, and it sounds just like he knows what he's talking about. Anyone that can write a book and then simplify that book into two main points in an interview, I think that shows that he definitely has a grasp on what he's talking about. He's brilliant. Talks about a lot of great points. I'm excited to share this with you. So here's my interview with Dr. Dave Arnott. Well, Dr. Arnott, thanks for, for being with us today. I want to start by just letting you intro yourself, where you're at in leadership, what's your kind of path to get there. Yeah, thanks for the question, Zach. Uh, I wrote the leadership quotient with a friend of mine named Bill Service. We were PhD candidates together at the University of Texas at Arlington. Okay. And I was struggling and through a statistics class and whispered across the table to him that I hadn't heard a word the professor said in the last 10 minutes. And he whispered back, it wouldn't do any good. <laughs> and so we talked about statistics, which I was not good at, and he was. Right. And so he took me to his home a couple afternoons a week and lectured to me about statistics. And I wouldn't be a college professor today without Bill's service. Wow. And so in the dedication of the book, I start talking about uh, we stand on the shoulders of others. Mm. And we got here with the help of others. There's a five-minute video on PragerU that's really good by Dennis Prager saying the one thing that separates happy from unhappy people is gratitude. Mm. Yeah. If you are grateful for where you are, you'll be happy. If you feel like you were entitled to something and you didn't get enough, you'll be unhappy. Mm. That's it. And the fascinating thing is Dennis Prager is Jewish. Interesting. He's not grateful for the thing I'm the most grateful for. Jesus died for my sins. So shouldn't I be more grateful than Dennis Prager? Yet I'm listening to him and endorsing mm. to my students all the time. Watch the five-minute video on PragerU about gratitude. Because right. that's really what makes you happy. If you're grateful for what you have... Mm you'll be happy in life. If you feel entitled and you're ungrateful, you'll be unhappy. That's it. Well, that makes but sense. it goes back to me giving uh, thanks to Bill Service for getting me through my PhD program so I can have a career as a college professor and a writer. Yeah. So when he called one day and said, Dave, would you help me? I interrupted him to say, the answer is yes. What's the question? Mm. And he said, would you help me write a leadership book? And I said, well, you're not famous and I'm not either. Nobody cares what you and I think about leadership. Right. I said, but I will help you because you're my friend. And that's what life's about is having these friends who help you through things. So what was the idea behind the book when he, he brought it to you? What was the, the cause or the why you decided to write it? In his MBA program, he had a student who was had a degree in engineering, but was studying for an MBA in leadership. Mm. And the student asked my friend Bill Service, professor at Samford University in Birmingham, asked him, is there a formula for leadership? And Bill said, no. And the engineering student said, there should be. Mm. Bill said, I think I have a formula. So I went to Birmingham. We talked about it for a couple of days, put a lot of things on the whiteboard. And we came away with a three-part triangle that's in the book, leader, follower and environment. Well, follower environment matches up with the two things that exist in almost every leadership book. There's an exercise I do in some of my classes where I have students on the left side of the board and the right side of the board. We review every chapter of leadership by Peter Nordhaus, who teaches at the University of Michigan. It's about his 10th or 11th edition now. We go through the PowerPoint of every chapter of his book on leadership, and we can categorize every theory in two words. 
tasks and people. Mm. And in our formula, it's leader and then two things, tasks, which is the environment, and followers for the people. That's it. Mm. If you look up on Amazon.com today, there's probably 20,000 books on leadership. They all are based on two things, task and people. Hmm. And so that's what we need to determine as leaders. How do we lead people to accomplish tasks? There's only two things in leadership, even though there's been thousands of books written about it. You have a quote in the book says leadership is about commitment and necessity directed towards accomplishment. Right. Kind of the same idea. Can you kind of unpack that? Yeah. Toward accomplishment, the end of the sentence is task. What are we trying to get done here? And the beginning of the sentence is about people whom, whom you work with to get these things done. So... That's the two things. But if you can figure out, did God make you more of a task person or more of a people person? Mm-hmm. And figure out, where is my weakness? How do I need to improve myself so I'm a better leader? All of us can look at that. And if you had four people, Zach, living with you in an apartment down the hill here at DVU, you could line up the four of them. And you could say, oh, this person's more task-oriented, this person's more people-oriented across that spectrum, and therefore give them some advice. You will become a better leader if you can improve the part you're missing. But there's only two parts. Right. That's the simple part of it, task and people. Right. So, I tend to be more task-oriented. Okay, I, I love to do tasks. I love to work. So the reason I was late meeting with you today... <laughs> was I forced myself to sit across the table from Jamie Lash and Greg Kelm, two of my fellow professors at DBU, right. have a fascinating discussion about human behavior, Adam Smith, about politics and philosophy. And while I wanted to jump up from the table and go complete a task, that was my nature. I forced myself to sit and listen because I thought, this is really fascinating stuff. I'm learning from people. Mm. So each of us need to understand, which did God make you? a more people person or a more task person, how do you improve the other side of it so you can be effective and get things done in life? Right. So speak into that more as a task-oriented person. Speak to people who are also task-oriented people. How do you foster that or how do you grow the other side of the spectrum personally? Yeah, schedule. I mean, you have to you have to purposely make an intention to, to improve what you're bad at. There's a book by Jeff Colvin, uh, who was with uh, Fortune magazine called Talent is Overrated. And he gives an example of Jerry Rice. Sorry, guys in my generation know that Jerry Rice. I know who he is. You do. I do. He's uh, 49ers. 49ers. Great. He had intentional practice. Mm -hmm. So he'd stand at the sideline and act like he was catching a pass and say, which foot goes where? And how do I do this little dance on this? He would intentionally practice things. He would force himself. He would say, this is what we're going to do today. And that's what we need to do as leaders. We need to say, as I say to myself, okay, I'm not very good at this people thing. So how do I structure my life so that I do that? So how do I, you know, purposely go out of my office for lunch and meet with Jamie and Greg how do I schedule Thursday afternoons to be with my grandkids? Because mm. see, it doesn't come naturally for me. For, for many people, it does. Being with people is easy for them. I have to force myself. Now, if you're listening to this and you're on the other side, you need to think about that too. Yeah. How do you get tasks done? Because God made you a people person. God wants us to operate in both spheres, but we mostly gravitate toward one or the other. Right. So even as a leader, I'm thinking about that too, because I feel personally, sometimes I, I lean towards the people person mm-hmm. and wanting to be relational and wanting to talk to people. But as a leader, how can you say combine the two or like getting people to perform a task or getting people to move towards an accomplishment? Yeah. Um, 
Del Harris was an NBA coach, coached for uh, Houston, then the Lakers, finished his career with the Mavericks. I got to know him by a huge providential coincidence, and I asked him to speak for a friend of mine who has a speaker's conference at UTA. Hmm. After his speech, the sophomore asked a great question. He said to him, why should somebody like Kobe Bryant listen to you? Well, mm. Kobe Bryant's one of the best basketball players in history. Rich, famous. Del Harris is not. <laughs> he was his coach. So that's a really great question because we ask, why should people listen to Del Harris? Why should they listen to Zach Funderburg? Why should they listen to Dave Arnott? Why should they listen to you? And he gave this great answer. And it comes back to the two things I've been talking about. Del Harris said, you have to show them that you care personally and that you can help professionally. Mm. Think about what I just said, Zach, mm. task and people. I right. can make you a better performer on the basketball court, but I care about you as an individual too. And so it continues to come back to task and people. It's just the li I like the way Coach Harris said it, yeah. so that you care personally and you can help professionally. Mm. And it's not that you're just showing that you care personally. You really do. You really care about the person and their development and how they're doing in life outside the task area. Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. I want to go kind of something back you talked to when you were talking with Jamie Lash, the nature mm -hmm. versus nurture, which I believe is something in the book as well. Can you kind of unpack that, the, the idea of nature and nurture and that effective leaders are prepared by nature and refined by nurture? Oh, that's well said. Did I say that? I think you did. <laughs> okay. I think I got that from the book. I, why, can you I surely didn't that, say Zach. No, that's good. Yeah. So we have this, this part of us that, that comes from whether you want to call it birth or society. But by the time we get to the age, like you're going to college, like you are, Zach, that is set and you can't change the past. Right. You can change the future. Mm. And so we need to, at some point, look at it and say, you know, what are my strengths and weaknesses? What was natural about the way in which I learned to be a leader? And what did I miss? Mm. Right. So it's always about this constant improvement. Um, in spiritual terms, we call this sanctification. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to get better. We're always trying to learn from what we're doing mm. and say, what from my nature helps me be a good leader? What from my nature prevents me from being a leader? Then we look at nurture and say, how can I nurture myself so I improve these these things that are missing in my life? Maybe a personal thing, I guess. At some point, we all figure out we didn't have perfect parents. And this is meaningful to me because the first dedication in the leadership quotient is to my dad, mm -hmm. who's one of the greatest men I know, but he wasn't perfect. And so there's some things that he nurtured in me that helped me be a good leader. There's some ways in which he didn't. Mm -hmm. At some point in life, we have to make this admission and try to figure out what did I learn from my dad which were many lessons in my life that right. made me a good leader. What are the gaps that I need to fill in in nurture? Yeah. Okay. So I kind of want to dive into the book and the three, the three parts you mentioned, the leader, mm -hmm. the follower, and the environment. At the beginning, it talks about a framework. Can you kind of define a framework and say how it's important to leadership and even life? Oh, yeah. We all have frameworks that we, that we operate from. I'll tell you a couple of grandchildren's story, but then you'll have to call me off, off it quickly because right. I'll talk about them forever. <laughs> we were on the way to a DBU baseball game, and my six-year-old granddaughter said, Grandpa, at the game... What are we going to hear? What are we going to see? What are we going to feel? I'm thinking mm. this six-year-old has a way of understanding her environment from what do we hear? What do we see? What do we feel? So I answered quickly. Well, we're going to hear the crack of the bat when it hits the ball. Mm. We're going to feel excited if we win. We're going to see the boys play baseball. A six-year-old has a three-part framework for understanding her world. 
if a light bulb went off for me, it was when I was 38 years old, started teaching at DBU, and the provost was Gail Lynham, wonderful woman. She sent me to a seminar put on by the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities at George Fox College in suburban Portland. And our speaker was Arthur Holmes, mm-hmm. the guy who wrote the idea of a Christian college. And he came in the room and talked about creation, fall, redemption. Mm-hmm. And that's the framework that has changed my life. Mm-hmm. I think about it every day. It's not an over-exaggeration to say that framework. I think about when I see politics, when I see sports, when I see economics, my question is, are they in line with creation, fall, redemption? Or are they out of line with creation, fall, redemption? Right. That's one that works for me. Another one for me is mental, physical, spiritual. Uh, as you know, you're in my economics class, so it's supply and demand. Mm. You know, and where are these people relative to the market? We all have these frameworks, right? right? It's just a question of do we use them to understand our world better? And that's why the leadership framework to me is two things, task and people. Gotcha. So it all comes back to task and people. To me, it does. Yeah. And then again, just about every chapter in Nordhaus's book, it comes back to the same thing, too. So if we understand the frameworks, we can understand our world better. If you see the cover of the book, there's a triangle yeah. and the triangle represents the leader, the follower and the environment. So yeah. I kind of want to just walk through each one of those and, and dissect each of it. So starting with the framework of a leader, yeah. there's four cues or four components of it. Desire, reality, emotional, uh, emotional at- intelligence. Yeah. Can you kind of break down the, that first part of the triangle or of the quotient? First, I should explain how we got these. Uh, my friend Bill Service was teaching leadership in the MBA program program at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. I was teaching leadership at, uh, in the MBA program at Dallas Baptist University. So we use what's called a grounded theory. We just ask our MBA students, what makes up leadership? And with sifting and sorting and sending emails back and forth in the first semester, we came up with these 12 things, four under each of the three items that you've mentioned, leader, follower, environment. Closed the semester, gave the students their grades, came back the next semester and said, Okay, the students in the previous semester said the leader must have these four things, desire, reality, emotional intelligence, and pure intelligence. What makes those up? What are the subcomponents of those? And students that semester sifted, sorted, we sent emails back and forth, and we defined them. So that's what's called a grounded theory. Bill and I didn't sit in an office and say, we're so smart that we know what leadership is. But we were smart enough to say our students know. And we asked them. And we asked them, we got the results. That's how we wrote the book. So we say this, uh, this four things a leader has to have desire. First, to have the, the leader wants to lead. The second, reality. Do they understand the reality they're in? Because to get things done, you have to understand what your strengths and weaknesses are. You have to understand reality. Emotional intelligence comes from Daniel Goleman. He said there's five things that make up emotional intelligence. And then there's just mental capacity. Does a person have the ability to get things done? Those are the four things that our MBA students told us that a leader has to have. Desire, understand reality, emotional, and intelligence. Kind of speak into strengths and weaknesses of, yeah. of a leader and being able to identify those. And as a leader, knowing your strengths and weaknesses, how do I pick those out? How do I identify those? And how do I um, continue to grow those? Our book explains some of those, but there's many ways to do it. I work with a guy who does a lot about DISC, D-I-S-C. So there's four kinds of people. At DBU, a lot we use um, Myers-Briggs. There's a lot of these different kinds of 
analysis, analytical mm -hmm. tools to help people understand. I tend to favor DISC, but uh, there's many others. My encouragement is we know people are different. We know we treat them different. If you have a framework to understand that, you'll be more scientific and be more effective about it. I mean, if you think about this, you speak to me different than you speak to your mom. <laughs> yes, sir. It's part of our roles, right? right? But it's also because your mom is different than me. Right. In what way is your mom different than me, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you just, we know we do it unconsciously. I just encourage people to do it consciously. Mm -hmm. Think about this. So that answers your question about how do you determine that? Well, we've got a formula in our book, but there's many other formulas. There's DISC, there's Myers-Briggs, there's a lot. There's Enneagram. I got some friends yeah. using Enneagram now. It's big now. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned it in class the other day, and one of the students asked me, what are you? I said, I don't know. The student said, I think you're an eight and a three. <laughs> I looked it up, and he was right. Yeah, I think I would agree as well. <laughs> I'm an eight I would and agree. three, I think. Yeah. yeah. So he has a framework. Yeah. Right. Also with intelligence, um, what does mental capacity or just straight intelligence have to do with being a leader? Yeah, well, so under the leader section, there's desire, reality, emotional, and intelligence. So I think I'd break those down into desire and ability. Mm -hmm. Now, it's interesting as a college professor, I can assume my students have ability or they wouldn't be here, right? They've passed some test. They've done something. They've passed some kind of an entry exam. They have the ability to understand two-dimensional graphs, to do math. I assume they can do it, and that's a good assumption to make. Right. My wife, who works in drug research, hires people. She has two questions. Does this person have the ability? Do they have the desire? Mm -hmm. I have only one question of my students, desire. Because they didn't have the ability, we wouldn't have let them in here. Right. Now, some organizations do this as well. My wife's company doesn't, but they do have some kind of ability test. Do you have the ability to succeed here? Mm -hmm. If you think of sports, it's not always the best analogy, but in this one, it happens to be. Right. If they invited you, you know, on the soccer team or on the volleyball team, let's assume you have the ability. They wouldn't have invited you. After that is desire. Mm -hmm. This gets back to Jeffrey Colvin's book, Talent is Overrated. His book says, you know, it's not perfect, but he does make the point, once you get invited to the volleyball team, once you get invited to the soccer team, you're, you've passed you, the hurdle, perhaps, for ability. Now it's desire. And that's his point. So the first section under leaders, desire, and the last one is intelligence, which I would say is uh, ability. Okay. That's what I'd say. Do you have the intellectual ability to perform in the, uh, in the capacity you've been hired for. Yeah. And of course, with freshmen, it's almost always the case. We wouldn't have let him in. Exactly. Yeah. Go ahead. So moving on to the follower, can I explain the follower category of it? Is it for the follower of a leader or how the leader interacts with the follower? Yeah. It's what, um, it's how the leader interacts with the follower. The second part of what you said, Zach, that's okay. right. So the follower expects the leader to communicate well with him or her to have the kind of people skills to get along with them. That's something we talked about in the beginning of our discussion together. You expect your leader to behave in a certain way. Mm -hmm. So we expect the, the, we expect our pastor to behave in a different way than perhaps we do that our soccer coach, right? right. Because they're in different task environments, they're doing different things. Mm -hmm. And we expect them to appear in a certain way. So, yeah, it's, it's how, what does the follower expect of the leader? Okay, yeah. that makes sense. So mm -hmm. with, say, behavior, kind of go into that more. You said a little bit about the pastor versus the soccer coach. So what is expected of a, of a leader or a servant leader, if you will, um, 
as far as behavior. Yeah, I think they're expected to take people places they wouldn't go without them. Mm. That's one definition of leadership. Right. Uh, the leader helps people do things they wouldn't do without the leader. Uh, many times people have capacities, they have the ability, but somehow they're missing the desire and they don't understand. Um, I used to lead a thing in my community called Leadership Midlothian. Most cities have them. It's through the Chamber of Commerce. We spend 10 days together during essentially the school year and study our community to find out how they best serve. Hmm. One of the best experiences we did was we did a 360 one time where people told each other what, you know, how they appeared. And one woman was just astounded that others saw leadership in her. She didn't see it in herself. And she it, it essentially changed her view of what her role in the community should be. Because she didn't see herself as a leader, but other did. Others did. So that's what we mean by a behavior. It's it's are you helping people understand how they come across? Right how they appeal to others, what their strengths are. Sometimes we don't know our strengths as well as others know. Mm. So what's the importance of feedback or asking people or as a leader, leaning into those who you are leading and asking for feedback and, and inviting that in? Yeah, yeah. And I think there's different roles for different people. Um, something in the New Testament about having a handful of advisors. I can't quote it exactly right now, but that's what it meant. None of us is as smart as all of us. Mm. Right. And the first few pages of um, uh, The Wisdom of Crowds, James Surowiecki tells a story about a guy named uh, Galton, who was 85 years old and discovered the wisdom of crowds. It, it, until the age of 85, uh, he was actually the father of eugenics mm. and thought that the elite should lead society because they'd been right. somehow endorsed to do so. And at 85, he discovers what James Surowiecki calls the wisdom of crowds. Mm. Nobody's as smart as all of us. And the more people you talk to, the more people you listen to, the more information you gain. And so leaders have to be aware of how others are seeing them. They have to have some, some mechanism for figuring this out. Sitting here at a table across from each other in a classroom at DBU, Zach, I'm not sure I can say exactly because it, it depends on the situation. Right. Uh, there's another good book um, about leadership failure. It talks about eight leaders and how they failed. Almost all of them failed because they didn't seek enough guidance mm. from those around them to figure right. out what their weaknesses were. It's and fascinating. The egotism of a leader can can really, really kill a person. And that's the story in that in that book. Yeah. I want to go back real quick to yeah. when you talked about desire and the way that a leader prompts um, desire within those they're leading. How did, does a leader do that? How do you prompt people to move? How yeah. You... There's a lot of motivational theories, aren't there? You right. Know, one I like tends to be from a guy named David McClellan, where he said, we all either like achievement, affiliation, or power. Hmm. Right. And there's nothing wrong with any of those. Usually we think of power as negative, particularly in Christian terms, but that's not how McClellan meant it. And that's one way. There's a lot of different motivational theories. I tend to like that one because I think if you can identify the people around you, what motivates them, this simple model says affiliation, achievement or power. But there's a lot of different ones. Again, we're back to frameworks again. Right. So if you can, as you're listening to this, think about the people around you and say, what motivates them? Mm. Achievement, affiliation or power. If you know that, you know how to lead them 
Because you know what motivates them. But there's a lot of different motivational schemes. I just tend right. to like that one. No, that's a great one. And I think it leads right into the last point of the triangle with environment. What motivates people? What around them or what within the environment, whether it's a workplace, whether it's a classroom, what motivates them to move? So speak into environment, the last part of this. Yeah, this quotient. is where Henri Fiol missed it. He was one of the great management theorists of history. He said there's only 14 rules of management. When something goes wrong, consult one of these rules. Hmm. What Fiol missed was that it's different if you're running a steel mill in Midlothian or whether you're running a, a, a Christian college in Kansas. Those are very different environments. And that's mm -hmm. what Fayol missed. That's what our section of the book is about. Do you have experience in this industry, in this environment? Do you know, do you have knowledge? Do you know what you're doing? Do you understand the situation? Do you know how to manage not across, but within? Mm -hmm. Because managing a Christian college in Kansas is quite different than managing a steel mill in Midlothian, Texas. And are you able to adapt to that environment and understand, this is how I lead here. And I lead, well, just, you know, for us, uh, you'll lead your home differently than you'll lead your classroom, right? So if somebody makes you a leader of your soccer team, it'll be even different than the classroom or from home mm. or from church. So these environments demand us to lead differently. Mm. That's the point. Speaking of that more, your experience and leading different because of experiences you've had or learning from past experiences. Yeah, yeah. So I started out um, my in my career, my first job, I moved to Dallas to work for the Association of Tennis Professionals. Mm. And I worked for essentially 200 men professional tennis players around the world. And I was very, it was a blessing. I mean, I was thrown into the deep end of the pool about every other day and just mm -hmm. was able to swim and learn a lot and had some really great experiences. That was working for 200 men's tennis players from 50 countries was, was a very different from my next job, which I worked for I a Swedish beverage company selling sport drinks. And then I own my own small company. Hmm. Those are very different ways in which you lead and manage. And I'm not even saying I did all of them effectively, but it's just an example of three different environments in which I went in 10 years to three different environments in which I had to manage and lead for our topic today, lead very differently. Yeah. So and now I'm a college professor. Yeah. And I lead differently than I did in those. Mm -hmm. So I've been at least in four environments. I probably missed a couple in there. I think I'm in my sixth job, but I've been here 26 years. I'm going to stay in this one. <laughs> I think you're in your wheelhouse here. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm blessed to have a good place to work with good students who mm -hmm. want to learn. It is, it, it, it is really a blessing. I want to just give you the microphone. What would you say to your 20-year-old self? What would you say to the 20-year-old listener who has ambition for leadership, who is looking towards the future, um, but wants to grow and wants to learn? What would you say to them? Listen to others. Hmm. Yeah, uh, particularly American society concentrates too much on the individual and on the enactment idea that I can be anything I want, that right. I can do anything I want. I tell my seniors that if I went into their home, their parents would probably show me a picture of them playing soccer at the age of five or six. Mm -hmm. And they were the gnats or the fire ants or the mosquitoes or something. <laughs> yeah. Somebody came along them as, as alongside them at some point and said, maybe soccer isn't the best for you. And they end up doing something else which provides more value for others. So I, I think the one word of advice is advice. Right. <laughs> In other words, a yeah. handful of advisors. Ask others, what's, what do I do that's good and how do I create value? W what do you notice in me? What do you think I should do? Hmm. I mean, often others can observe us better than we can observe ourselves. And the, the greater those advisors are and the more honest they'll be with you, look, it happens unconsciously anyway. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, if you've ever been fired from a job or if you ever flunked a class, that means that's something you shouldn't do. Well, it's too bad you couldn't talk to an advisor before you got fired, mm. or before you flunked right, that yeah. class, to say this isn't where you should be. You should be somewhere else. I believe God has a perfect plan for our lives. Mm-hmm. We as humans have trouble figuring out a perfect God, but we can try, and we should continue to try. And an abundance of advisors is better than enactment. How important is it to have mentors or advice coming from people who are older than you? Oh, I think I think there's both. Uh, you probably expected me to say older, but that's just because right. I'm older. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, I uh, quite often the students will think I know a lot, and I'll say, "Yeah, it's because I'm so old." I mean, look at the math. The intelligence quotient is a quotient. It's age over intelligence. As you get older, you should know more. Mm. That's the assumption of IQ, right? And so if you're seeking advice, isn't it better to seek advice from somebody who knows more? Mm. Just by their nature, they've been in more environments, they understand more. And so seek advisors, I think, from different realms too. I mean, not just from your church, but from your neighborhood, from your family, from work, even even from people um, outside your work maybe even a competitor, Mm. try to form this sort of um, council of advisors that represents each of the environments in which you operate. So that would be uh, family, home, work, church, you know, environment, community, city, those kinds of things, and try to have breakfast with them once in a while and just, you know, set up a way of asking them, you know, say, I'm, I've been thinking about this decision. What do you think? And ask a number of advisors, and hopefully they'll tell you the truth. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Arnett, thanks for, for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Good luck with your project, Zach. Hey, Zach here. One more thing before you leave. I want to give a huge shout out to the Vasco Band for providing music for this podcast. You can find them on Apple Music. You can find them on Spotify, Amazon Prime Music, wherever you find your music. The Vasco Band. Go check them out.